Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, Thursday, the 25th of October in the year 2012. And we are in the lower hamlet of Plumbridge and uh, in the Assembly of Stars Meditation Hall. This is uh, the third week of our fall retreat. Last, last week, we learned about four kinds of uh, nutriment, four kinds of food. And uh, this has to do with the fifth uh, mindfulness training, mindful consumption. We talk about um, the first kind of food, which is uh, edible food that we bring in by the way of the mouth. We should eat in such a way, we should drink in such a way that will not bring toxins, poisons into our body. We should eat in such a way that that we can still nourish our compassion. Without compassion, we cannot relate to other living beings. And you cannot be a happy person. The second kind of uh, food is uh, sense, sense impressions. We consume with our eyes, our ear, our nose, our tongue, our body, and our mind. Every time we read an article in a magazine, every time we watch uh, a television program, we consume. Every time we listen to a conversation, we consume. Every time we think, we listen to another person, we consume. Because what we read, what we hear, what we uh, mm, what may contain a lot of toxins and that is not good for our mind and our body. And if we have uh, a depression, it means that we have consumed in such a way that has brought into us a lot of toxins, worries, fear, anger, distress, and so on. And the third source of nutriment is uh, volition. Volition, your deepest kind of desire. And that gives you strength. If your deepest desire is to punish, If your deepest desire is to run after fame, wealth, power, sex, that kind of uh, nutriment is not good for you because uh, it will draw you in the direction of suffering. But if you, your deepest desire is to transform yourself to suffer less and help other people to suffer less. That is good, uh, good food 
And that is a very powerful source of nutriment. So you have to look uh, deeply in order to see what kind of deep of, of intention we have. What do I want to do with my life? It depends on uh, your idea of happiness. Many of us believe that uh, happiness is made of uh, fame, power, wealth, sex. But if we look around, we see that there are people who who have plenty of these things but who suffer very deeply. One example, power. You believe that you'll be happy if you have power and including political power. power. Look at uh, someone like uh, Barack Obama. He has a lot of power. If he does not have power, who will have power? The president of a big uh, country like that. But I, I feel that he feels very powerless. There are many things he wants to do, but he cannot do. He doesn't have enough power. So if you think that power of and also political power can make you happy, think about it again. And the same thing is true with wealth, money, and fame. How much fame you need in order to be happy. And how much sex you need in order to be happy. So these are not good uh, uh, nutrients. So the Buddha advised us to sit down and look deeply into ourselves and ask the question with honesty, what, one, what do I want to do with my life? your intention, your desire, your deepest desire. And you have to identify that source of nutriment. The Buddha also had a strong intention, volition. He had had a lot of energy drawn from the source of that uh, volition. He, He saw the suffering around him. And he knew that uh, to be a king, he could not help solve the problem in his own country and in the world. He saw his father ruling. He saw the corruption. He saw the helplessness of his father as a king. So he knew that uh, to be a king is not the best way to, to be happy and to help people. That is why he refused to be a king and went into the wilderness in order to become a monk, searching for a spiritual path. And the intention is good, is strong, because as a prince, he left every comfort in order to to go empty-handed, begging for his daily food and sleeping out there in nature. And you cannot do that unless you have a strong intention 
what you want to do with your life. And uh, the Buddha went through many kinds of practice. He learned from many teachers. But finally, he had to find the way by himself. And he succeeded. And that intention of a Bodhisattva, of a Buddha, is to suffer less, to transform the suffering in oneself in order to be able to help others to help others to transform and to suffer less. That is a good intention. That is what we call a bodhicitta, the mind of love, the mind of enlightenment. Bodhitam. In Pramilesh, we translate bodhicitta by uh, the mind of love, or the mind of uh, enlightenment, because both body Body means enlightenment, the mind of love. Enlightenment is a kind of understanding, a deep understanding, a correct view, a deep vision of reality, the reality of uh, yourself and of the world. And meditation is the way to get that kind of vision, right vision, that kind of enlightenment. And enlightenment might be understand, might be understood as uh, understanding, the mind of understanding. And to be enlightened. Always mean to be enlightened on what? On something. If you understand your suffering, if you understand the suffering of the world, that is enlightenment. If you see the path leading to the cessation of suffering, that is enlightenment. And understanding enlightenment comes from the practice of mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness and concentration are the two kinds of energies that can help us make a breakthrough and get the enlightenment, get the understanding that we need. But in Buddhism, we see very clearly that the first thing you have to understand is your own suffering. Because your, your own suffering carries within itself the suffering of your father, of your mother, of your ancestors. And the suffering also reflects the suffering of your society, your nation. So understanding suffering in oneself helps you to understand the suffering in the other person. That person is your father, your mother. That person is your partner. That person is uh, the people in your country, the people in your society. And once understanding arises, compassion arises at the same time.
And this is uh, very important. Understanding and love are not two separate things. There is no love without understanding. These two words mean the same thing, love and understand. Suppose uh, the father doesn't understand the son. He does not know anything about the suffering, the difficulties of the son. Even if he has a very strong will to love and make his son happy, he cannot do that. The more he tries to love, the more he makes his son suffer. Because uh, love is impossible without understanding. And that is why we have to go to him or to her, the person we love, and ask the question, Darling, do you think I understand you enough? If I don't, please help. Because the understanding is the foundation of love. And understanding is enlightenment. It's very clear. Enlightenment is not something vague, abstract. First of all, it is a deep understanding of the nature of the suffering in you, and then in him, in her, in society. That is why bodhicitta can be translated by the mind of understanding, the mind of enlightenment, or the mind of love. It's the same. And in the teaching of the Buddha, it's very clear that unless you understand yourself, it's will be difficult to understand another person. Understand yourself, first of all, is understanding your own suffering. And then you, when you have understood your, your suffering, you begin to, sub, to accept yourself, to love yourself. And there are those of us who cannot accept ourselves, and if you cannot accept yourself, you can love yourself, how can you accept and love another person? So self-understanding is the foundation for the understanding of, the, of others. Self-love is the foundation of the love for another person. Do you love yourself? Do you have the capacity of loving yourself? Can you accept yourself as you are? If you don't accept yourself as you are, you have no peace. You are always in conflict with yourself. In that case, you cannot help anyone because you cannot help yourself. So looking deeply into the nature of your suffering, looking with what? Not with a microscope but with the power of mindfulness and concentration. These are two energies that we can generate by the practice of uh, walking, sitting, breathing. And the practice can be done every moment in your daily life. While you make your breakfast, you may like to make your breakfast in such a way that every moment of breakfast making is a 
mindful moment. You're aware. Mindfulness is the energy that helps you to be aware of uh, what what is happening in the here and the now. You are aware. You are fully present in the here and the now. And you are aware of what is going on in your body, in your feeling around you. You are fully present in the here and the now. That is the energy of mindfulness. And you can practice breathing mindfully, walking mindfully, cooking mindfully, in order to generate that power of mindfulness. And with that power of mindfulness, we can, uh, we can succeed in bringing concentration. When you are mindful, you begin to be concentrated. Suppose you look up into the sky and you see them, the moon. And you say, breathing in, I'm aware that the moon is up there. And if you are very aware, very mindful of the moon, you are concentrated on the moon. Because the energy of mindfulness carries within itself the energy of concentration. And when mindfulness and concentration are powerful, you get the insight, you get the enlightenment. You get the understanding that you need. And we know that most of the people in our society, they don't want to do that. In order to understand your suffering, you have to go home to yourself and get in touch with the suffering inside. And most of the people find it unpleasant. You don't want to get in touch with the fear, the anger, anxiety the violence, the despair in yourself because you are afraid that you will suffer when you are you get in touch with your own suffering. So you try to cover up with consumption. You consume television. You consume the internet. You consume newspapers. You consume food, we know that there are those who consume not because they need to consume, but because they want to cover up the suffering inside. They don't want to get in touch. When you are reaching out for a piece of a cake, you might do it mindfully. Breathing in, I know that I'm reaching out for a piece of cake. That's mindfulness. And if you have mindfulness, you may ask the question, why do I have to eat that cake? Am I hungry? I'm really hungry. Many of us are not hungry, but we eat anyway. Because of the fact that we hope that while eating something, we can Forget the suffering inside. So mindfulness brings your insight. Oh, I'm reaching out for the cake because I want to run away from the suffering inside. That is enlightenment already. So you may stop and you may say, 
I have to go back and take care of the suffering in my That is the third kind of nutriment, volition. And this is uh, bodhicitta is the best kind of, uh, of volition. You want to transform your suffering in order to help transform the suffering in the other person and in the other people. The terrorists, they also have uh, a deep desire. They are motivated by the anger, by the view that they have to destroy, to kill, because the, the people they want to kill are on the side of evil, and I'm killing them in the name of God, in the name of goodness. So motivated by wrong views and anger, you become a terrorist. And that kind of volition, desire, is not healthy. It's not good food. It makes you suffer, and it makes many other people suffer. So the question we ask ourselves is, what do I want with my life? What do I want to do with my life? And uh, Siddhartha Gautama has decided to use his life in order to promote understanding and compassion. And we inherit his kind of, uh, of, of work, of career, the career of a Bodhisattva, uh, generating understanding and compassion. These two things we need the most in our world, understanding and compassion. We need a society that has more mutual understanding and compassion. Unfortunately, in the supermarket, they don't sell. We have to generate, produce by ourselves and by, by the practice of mindfulness. We have to work with our mind. The Buddha said, the Buddha asked his, uh, his monks, dear friends, there is one thing. This is uh, quoted from the Anguttara, Anguttara Nikaya. Dear friends, there is one thing that, if left uncultivated, will bring a lot of suffering. There is also one thing, if uh, well cultivated, will bring a lot of happiness. What is that something? Your mind. Your mind, if uh, left uncultivated, will bring a lot of suffering, anger, fear, despair. And if your mind is well cultivated, it will bring understanding, love, joy, and so on. So to practice is to cultivate. And the word bhavana in Sanskrit, in Pali, bhavana 
it means to cultivate, to practice, is to cultivate and cultivate the mind. The mind is the soil, the land. And we know that we have good seeds in us. We have the seed of understanding, love, forgiveness, joy, happiness. We have the land, we have the seed, and we have to cultivate our, our mind. And we will harvest the fruit of our, of our practice. So every one of us needs a spiritual dimension in our daily life. With a spiritual dimension in our daily life, we will be able to transcend, to overcome difficulties. We will know how to handle suffering, anger, fear. We would know how to generate a feeling of joy or happiness. And that is uh, is called uh, practice. Everyone needs a practice. You, you should know how to release the tension in your body, calm your body. You should know how to recognize a painful feeling a painful emotion. We should know how to handle a painful feeling or emotions. We should know how to listen, to look in such a way that can bring, uh, reduce suffering and bring compassion into us. We should learn how to listen with compassion and speak with uh, loving kindness. All these belong to a practice. And if we have a practice like that, we should be, uh, we should be no longer afraid. And that is a, a, a spiritual dimension in our life. Those of us who have received the five mindfulness trainings, we know that these trainings are very concrete practice of mindfulness. And if we learn and uh, practice uh, diligently the five mindfulness trainings, we cultivate our mind. And we can bring about uh, a lot of understanding and compassion. Bodhicitta is a tremendous source of energy. The intention, the deepest desire to understand and to love. A Bodhisattva is someone who, who has that kind, a lot of that kind of uh, source of energy. And everyone who would like to travel on the path of Bodhisattva should give rise to the Bodhicitta in ourselves. With that energy of love, of understanding, you become a bodhisattva. You have a lot of energy. You can help people, you can practice, and you do not feel tired. (coughs) So you can understand bodhicitta as a source of energy. 
with uh, the energy of the bodhicitta, your eyes are bright, your manner is solid, and you are very positive because you have a lot of energy. And the fourth kind of nutriment is uh, consciousness. And if uh, you want to, to listen to the teaching on the four nutriments, um, you can also, because uh, uh, the talk uh, is available in a CD. But today we have to continue with the 16 exercises. And, uh, and we were with uh, the 11 exercise and 12 exercise. Uh, concentrating the mind and liberating the mind. We suffer because of uh, mental formations. We know that in Buddhist psychology, they speak of uh, 51 categories of mental formations. They are all in us, at the bottom of our store consciousness. And when they have, uh, they are enough conditions, they will, they will manifest in the upper level of our consciousness as mental formations. Last time we, we have drawn our consciousness like that, and we know that this uh, is store consciousness, because it store all the seeds, and the, the, the potentials of the 51 mental formations are all down here. And up here is mind consciousness. So mind is made of uh, mental formations. And there are positive mental formations and negative mental formations. Mindfulness is one mental formation. It's a very good one. Concentration on self. And that is, uh, that is the element of holiness in, in us. If you have the energy of mindfulness, concentration, and insight in you, you are a holy person. And the holy is made with the non-holy elements. It's like the lotus is made with the mud. So if we know, we know how to handle fear, anger, craving, we know how to make good use of the mud, and then we can fabricate beautiful lotus of understanding and love. So don't try to throw away the negative things. If you throw away the mud, you cannot make a lotus flower. 
So you accept them. And after you have accepted them, you are in peace already. It's okay to suffer. And if you know, if you look deeply into the nature of your suffering, you see suffering sometimes is, uh, uh, is, uh, is helpful. And you can speak of, about the goodness of suffering. Every one of us has, has suffered. And we have to accept that suffering. The only thing we should do is that we have to learn how to make good use of suffering in order to make the lotus of happiness. You don't throw away the suffering because you need it. The garbage can be transformed into the compost in order to nourish the flower. The suffering that you have, that you have got, you don't need to throw them away. You don't need to take them out of your system. You just learn how to make good use of it, and then you can nourish the flower of uh, happiness, understanding, and love. So when, when, when the seed of anger slips quietly down here, you are not angry at all. You can laugh, you can have a good time. But that does not mean that anger is not in you. It is in you, in the form of a seed. Chúng tử, bija, and stalkerness preserve all of them down there. And when the seed of anger is, is water, it manifests up here as a zone of energy. Here you have the energy of anger. And this is a mental formation. Here is only a bija, a seed. Here is a mental formation, citta, samskara. So there is a mental formations that make you suffer, like delusion, ignorance, fear, anger, jealousy, despair. And it is possible to liberate these mental formations, to be, li- li- to be liberated from these mental formations, namely to transform them. And how? You use uh, the practice of concentration. Mindfulness, concentration, insight. When, when you concentrate on something and look very deeply, you get the insight. 
and getting the insight, you get liberated. Because the agent of, uh, of liberation is insight. In Buddhism, we speak of uh, salvation by insight and not by grace. And insight is the fruit of mindfulness and concentration. Suppose you look into the person of your partner with mindfulness, with concentration, and you recognize there is suffering in him, difficulties in him. He is not capable of transforming that suffering. He cannot overcome that kind of suffering. That is why he suffers and he, he makes his suffering spilling all over around him. So after having seen the suffering, the difficulties in him, suddenly your anger toward him vanishes and compassion is born in your heart. And instead of trying to punish him, uh, you try, you want to say something, to do something to help him to suffer less. And how can you change like that? How can anger and the will to punish be, rempl- be replaced by understanding and compassion? Because you practice mindfulness and concentration, that is why you understand the suffering in the other person. And that understanding is enlightenment. And enlightenment has the power to liberate. And concentrating in Buddhism is a very concrete practice. It's called samadhi. Samadhi means you have to keep your mindfulness, your awareness at the same level for a long time. Walking, sitting, drinking, eating, you hold that kind of awareness alive until insight comes. It's like cooking potatoes. You make the fire underneath. And after, if after three minutes you turn off the fire, the potato is not cooked. You have to keep the fire alive for at least 20 minutes in order for, for, for your potatoes to be cooked. So you, you put the pot, you pour the water, you put the potatoes, and you put the slit on, and you make the fire, and you wait at least 20 minutes. And then when you open the lid, it smells very good. So concentration is like that. You maintain your concentration alive, walking, sitting, drinking, eating, you hold it alive. (coughs) And the power of concentration will be able to to bring insight. And when insight comes, you are liberated. But sometimes it comes very quickly. There are many kinds of concentration, but uh, <clears throat> usually we, 
we begin with the concentration on impermanence. With our intellect, we can understand perfectly what uh, impermanence is. Everything changes. Nothing remains the same thing in two consecutive uh, moments. We know that intellectually. You have, uh, we have no difficulties accepting uh, the idea of uh, impermanence. The river looks very much the same river, but that's not true. The, f the water always flows and you cannot take uh, a swim twice in the same river. We now all know that. <coughs> so there is an appearance of uh, permanence, but in fact it is the nature of everything is impermanent. And there is no difficulty for us to understand the notion of impermanence. But the notion of impermanence cannot liberate you. Even if you can give a lecture three hours on impermanence with a lot of quotations and so on, yeah, you still do not have liberation. Because even if we know what impermanence is, but we still behave as if things are permanent. Suppose you, you get uh, angry at him or at her. And, and uh, you suffer. You are about to say something to punish him or her or to do something. This is a, a habit energy. When you suffer, you want to do something else, say something in order to suffer less. And usually to say something or to do something that makes the other person suffer. And you believe by doing so, you suffer less. It's very childish. Many of us do like that. We know that if the other person suffer, she or he will try to say something to do something back in order to suffer less. And both people, both practice the escalation of suffering and anger. So instead of uh, doing that, we can do the meditation on impermanence. When you are about to fight him or her, close your eyes and breathe in mindfully deeply and visualize him or her 300 years from now, what he will become in 300 years. It's not difficult. What shall I become 100 years from now, this body? You can see that your body is impermanent and the body of the other person is also impermanent. Not 300 years, just 60 or 70 years, it will become ash or other things. It is uh, funny, it is uh, not wise to make each other suffer now. You, 
you, you are angry and you want to make uh, the other suffer because you do not have the wisdom, the insight, the impermanence. You have only a notion of impermanence. The notion of impermanence does not liberate you. It is the insight of impermanence that can liberate you. So breathe in in such a way that you, you bring the image of impermanence into your mind. You see your beloved one, his body, her body, disintegrating. We are of the nature to die. We cannot escape dying. This is the fact. And that's what the Buddhas propose. Breathing in, you say, I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape dying. She is the nature to die. She cannot escape dying. So you breathe in such a way that in you, the inside of impermanence becomes alive, not the notion of impermanence. And then maybe in just a few minutes, you can see clearly that it is uh, not intelligent. It is stupid to make each other suffer like this. Because uh, although we know what impermanence is, we still behave like everything is impermanent. You still believe that you are going to be there forever, and the other person is going to be there forever. That is not the truth. So the first uh, meditation that uh, you can try is the meditation on impermanence. You have to keep the insight of impermanence alive when you look at yourself and around you. And with that insight of impermanence alive, your behavior will change completely, change radically. And you don't want to do the things that are not essential anymore. You know how to treasure the moments that you still have to live. You know how to to make good use of your life, of your time. Because the insight of impermanence inhabits you. So, impermanence should be a samadhi, a concentration, an insight, and not just a notion, an idea. And the insight of impermanence liberates. When I walk, when I do the mindful movements, It's very easy for me to be happy because I use the insight of impermanence during that time. 
people of my generation, most of them have passed away. And they cannot do like this anymore. Some of them are in wheelchairs. They cannot do like this again. <laughs> so I touch impermanence, and that's why I enjoy breathing in, breathing out. I enjoy making movement. I enjoy walking. You know how to cherish the moments that are given you to live. So impermanence is not a negative uh, note in the music of life. It's not pessimistic thinking. Impermanence is uh, a characteristic of life. If uh, everything is permanent, there's no life. If a seed of corn is not impermanent, and then it can never grow into a plant of corn. And you won't have no corn to eat. That's why if, if your daughter, your small daughter, is permanent, and then she, she stays a baby forever, she, not, she will not grow into a beautiful lady. So let us not complain about impermanence. Impermanence allow life to be possible. And that's why I had to say, long live impermanence. And in Buddhism, we have many exercises on samadhi. Samadhi means concentration. That we might practice in order to liberate ourselves from our fear, anger, craving, and so on. And also to bring joy and happiness. In the, uh, in the exercise of mindful breathing that we have learned from 1 to 10, we have learned how to take care of our body, to calm our body, to produce uh, a feeling of joy and happiness. Also, to recognize and calm a painful feeling, a painful emotion. But calming is not enough. Calming pain is not enough. Calming the emotion is not enough. We can go further, that is why the elephant exercise of mindful breathing is to use the practice of meditation, of, uh, of uh, samadhi, of concentration, in order to get a breakthrough, to, to get the insight that will be able to liberate us. When after you have closed your eyes and breathe in and out a few times, visualizing your beloved one 300 years from now, the inside of the inside of impermanence come, and you see that it's, it's not part of you at all to be angry at her, at him. 
because the inside of opponents have liberated you. And when you open your eyes, you still you see that she is still alive. And the only thing you want to do at that moment is to open your arms for hugging. Breathing in, I know my beloved one is still alive. Breathing out, I am so happy. So it might take a few minutes to be liberated from your anger. But sometimes you have to spend many hours and many days in order to, for our, our concentration to be strong enough to break through, to give us a breakthrough in order to liberate. And that is why the 14 exercise <coughs> is the, the contemplation contemplating impermanence. And the 14, the 15 exercise is uh, to contemplating non-craving. Craving is a kind of fire that burns, that pushes us to do something, to run after something the object of our craving. And for someone who does not crave anymore, there is peace, there is happiness. Happiness is possible (coughs) in the here and the now. And mindfulness and concentration help you to get the insight of non-craving. A fisherman through the line hoping to catch a fish. And he has a hook and the bait. The hook is uh, hidden in the bait, which is something very tempting, attractive. And if the fish does not know it and bite, and the fish will be hooked, hooked up and killed. So objects of our craving are like that. Whether it is power or film or wealth or sex. And many of us destroyed our body and mind running after these objects of craving. And we know that uh, true happiness is not made of these four elements. In the five mindfulness trainings, we learn that true happiness is made of understanding and love. Understanding and love never destroy oneself and never destroy the other people. And that is why cultivating our mind, generating the energy of understanding and love is to work for help. For, 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 for happiness. And that is a good uh, intention. So if someone is, uh, someone suffers while running for fame, running after fame, after uh, uh, power, after wealth, after sex, 
if someone uh, wants to punish, we know that that someone may suffer a lot. Here and uh, later on. And the contemplation of non-grieving help us to be free from the mental formation name craving. There are many schools of Buddhism. There are three kinds of concentration that can be found in every school of Buddhism. Northern or Southern. And these, kind, these three kinds of concentration are called the three doors of liberation. Tam Yai Thak Mong. The three doors of of liberation. And the first one is uh, the contemplating emptiness. The second thing, the second um, concentration is contemplating signlessness. Không vô tướng. And the third one is aimlessness. Vô nguyện hay là vô tác. Aimlessness is a very interesting kind of practice. You have no aim. The Sanskrit word is aprenihita. It means that you do not put in front of you something and run after that. You do not have an aim. And this is about happiness. It has to do with the practice of contemplating non-craving. Many of us believe that happiness is not possible now. We long for something. We think we need something to be truly happy. We think that there are few things that you don't have. You have to go into the future and get them. And that may be fame, fame, power. And if you are in in a state of running, searching, you are not a happy person. You have energy, yes, but that energy you use in order to run after an object. You are not capable of being happy in the here and the now. And the teaching of the Buddha encourages us to be happy in the here and the now. Happiness is here and now. And we have learned from the first exercise of mindful breathing that every time we breathe in mindfully and focus our mind entirely on your in-breath, we bring our mind back to our body and become established in the here and the now. We stop the thinking. We stop running to the future. 
are running to the past. So breathing in mindfully like that set us free from the past, the future, and our project. Because you are focusing just mind only on one thing, your in-breath. And uh, if you are a good practitioner, you enjoy your in-breath. Breathing in can bring insight. I am breathing in. I am aware of my in-breath. Just breathe in can already get you some enlightenment, some insight. Breathe in, I know I am alive. I am present in the here and now. And to be alive is a miracle. To be alive is to be sitting here or to be walking on this beautiful planet is a wonder. Someone who is already dead cannot breathe in anymore. You are breathing in, it means you are there, you are alive. And you can say, I breathe, therefore I am alive. It's like a Descartes when he say, I think, therefore I am. And as practitioners, you can say, I breathe, therefore I am alive. But if Descartes uh, think too much and lost his, himself in his thinking, and then he is not truly there. I, I, I think, therefore I am not truly there. I'm lost in my thinking. When you breathe mindfully, you know that you are alive. Je respire, donc je suis. C'est pas je pense, donc je suis. Je respire, donc je suis. Je suis vivant. There are many sutras in which the Buddha taught us the art of living happily in the present moment. When you breathe in mindfully, you bring your mind home to your body, and there you are established in the here and the now. And in the here and the now, you might get in touch with the many wonders of life. You are still alive. Your eyes are still in good condition, your heart still beats regularly. You can have feet strong enough to walk and to jump, to run. And the air is still fresh enough. There are many trees, there is sunshine. You, you can get in touch with so many conditions of happiness that are already in the here and the now. And you don't need to run into the future anymore to look for happiness. The teaching of the Buddha encourages you to be happy in the here and the now and not to look for 
something in the future in order to be happy. And the French, uh, there is a French song that speaks about that. Qu'est-ce qu'on attend pour être heureux? Why do we have to wait in order to be happy? We can be happy right here and right now. So there is a deep feeling of uh, fulfillment, contentment that make you happy, truly happy in here and now. You have more conditions of happiness than you need in order to be happy. And that's why we don't have to run after anything anymore. That is the practice of aimlessness. Do you think that uh, this flower has to transform herself into something else in order to be happy. She is a wonder already. She doesn't need to be transformed into another kind of flower to be happy. She is capable of being aimless. She is happy. And many of us are still running. She knows that she is a wonder. And she belongs to the kingdom of God, to the pure land of the Buddha. And she is completely satisfied. And you are already what you have to become. You are a wonder. You have to accept yourself as a wonder. And you also belong to the kingdom of God, to the pure land of the Buddha. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to become a Buddha in order to be happy. Because in you, the seed of enlightenment, the seed of love, the seed of understanding is already there, are already there. And just touch them and they will manifest as a sources of joy and happiness. Aimlessness is that. You don't need to run anymore. Happiness is possible in the here and the now. And that is why contemplating non-craving, it is... The same thing with the practice of aimlessness. Ask yourself, am I running after something? What do I want to get? This is a very special, very interesting in the teaching of the Buddha. Happiness is here and now. And a good practitioner is capable of being happy here and now. Just make one step on this planet and you can be happy. Imagine there are astronauts who have to spend six months up there. They miss the Earth so much. They're floating all the time, day and night. And imagine they are back on Earth and walk. Every, every step can bring a lot of joy, you see? And we are these astronauts. We have the chance to walk like this every day. 
and yet we are not happy. <laughs> so it is the insight, it is the concentration and insight to make you happy and not something outside of yourself, including fame, power, The, the only real success is uh, the capacity to be happy in the here and the now. And when you are happy, you can help so many people. And when you are not happy, how much, uh, no matter how much you, can, you do, you cannot help anyone. So aimlessness is a deep concentration. Think of uh, the practice uh, of aimlessness in the context uh, of uh, eschatology. You are already what you have, want to become. You are already a wonder of life. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy Mother Earth, enjoy everything. Conditions of happiness are more than sufficient. Signlessness, animita, is the way of looking, the kind of insight that helps you stop grieving. Stop uh, suffering and uh, in order to to arrive at that uh, inside of signlessness, the practice of my emptiness may be helpful suppose we speak of uh, a cloud. The cloud, your cloud is up there. But this afternoon or tomorrow, it may not be there any longer. Because things are impermanent. A cloud should be impermanent also. Your beloved one is impermanent. Your, your beloved one is a kind of cloud. One day she will disappear. But that does not mean that uh, from the realm of being, she will go to the realm of non-being. That's not correct. Because a cloud can never die. A cloud can never become nothing. A cloud can become snow, or rain, or ice. So when the cloud is not there, don't think that your cloud has died. Look and see your cloud in her new manifestation. Look at the rain. You are crying, Oh my, oh my dear cloud. Oh my darling cloud, where are you now? I suffer so much and you do not see the rain. 
which is a continuation of the cloud. The rain is calling you, darling, darling, I'm here, don't you see me? And if you know, if you have the eyes of signlessness, you are no longer caught by the sign of the cloud. You are free from all kinds of signs, appearance. You recognize your beloved uh, uh, cloud in her new form, the rain. To be a cloud floating up there is very nice. But to become rain falling on earth is also wonderful. And why do you have to cry? You cry because you are caught by signs, by the outer appearance. So look deeply and see the, the, the nature of no, no death of your cloud. Your cloud is there in the form of the rain. And later on, the rain will stop and the rain will be recognized in the river, in your tea. So mindfully, you drink your tea and you are in touch with your beloved cloud in your tea. So signlessness is a wonderful practice. It helps you to transcend all appearances. If you have the power to look deeply and then you know that the nature of everything is no birth and no death, no coming and no going. No being and non, no non-being. This line represents uh, time from left to right. And you may pick up one point and call it uh, birth. And you believe that your cloud only begins when it appears in the sky as a cloud. And you believe that your cloud begins to enter into existence. And from point B, your cloud enjoys the realm of being. But before point B, you believe that your cloud did not exist. Your cloud belongs to the realm of non-being. Because she did not exist here. But that is not true. Because in our, uh, in our mind, there is uh, the thinking that to be born is from nothing, you become something. From no one, you become someone. Before, before being born from your mother, you did not exist. You exist only the time when you are conceived. And that is wrong view. So look at your cloud deeply. And you see that before being in the form, in the sign of a cloud, your cloud had been something else. Your cloud had been the water 
in the ocean, in the lake, and the heat generated by the sunshine, sun, by the sun. So your cloud has a previous life. Your cloud has not come from nothing. Your cloud has not come from the realm of non-being into the realm of being. So the true nature of your cloud is no birth. You have never been born. The moment of birth, of so-called birth, is only a moment of a new manifestation. And then, because you have set up point B, you have to set up another point called D, death. And you believe that your cloud, when she comes into point D, you will, she will stop being, and she pass again into the realm of non-being. That is our way of thinking, which is characterized by the Buddha as wrong thinking. When the cloud is no longer there, she has not died. She continues in other signs, in other form. She becomes rain, she becomes snow, and so on. It's impossible for your cloud to die. So the notion of birth and death are a creation of your mind. Birth and death do not really exist. And not only the Buddhists uh, say like that, but some of our best scientists also say the same thing. Like the French uh, scientist uh, Lavoisier, Antoine Laurent Lavoisier, he said, nothing is born, nothing dies. Rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. Nothing is created. Nothing, nothing dies. And the first law of thermodynamics, the law of conservation of matter and energy, is just that. You cannot create new matter. You cannot destroy matter. You cannot create new energy. You cannot destroy energies. The nature of matter and energy is no birth and no death. You can transform matter into energy. You can transform energy into another kind of energy or into matter again. But you cannot make something disappear. You cannot bring into existence something else. The law of conservation of energy and it's the same. So the the notion of birth and death are mental creation. They cannot be applied to the ultimate reality. And we are fooled by the appearance. Something seems to disappear to become nothing, but looking deeply, 
nothing is lost. So when we are able, when we are able to remove uh, the notion of birth and death, the notion of being and non-being also disappear, because being in our head means when you are there, still alive. And uh, non-being means you are not, no longer there. In a sutra spoken by the Buddha, uh, there is a de- definition of right view. Right view means uh, right insight. There is a monk whose name is uh, Katyayana, Katyayana. He asked the Buddha, Dear teacher, you have uh, often spoken about uh, right view. What is right view, really? And the Buddha said that that right view is uh, the removal of the notion of being and non-being. People in the world are caught into the view of being and into the view view of non-being. But being and non-being are only the notions we create in our mind. And uh, with the removal of the notion of being and non-being, there is the removal of the notion of birth and death. And there is no longer any sorrow, any fear, if you touch the nature of no birth, no death, no being, no non-being. Uh, many uh, Christian theologians still are caught in the notion of being and non-being. They describe God in, the ter- in terms of being. They say God is the ground of being. But if God is the ground of being, who will be the ground of non-being? God is the, out- the ultimate as the ultimate, he transcends all notions of being and non-being. Even the cloud, a cloud, is free from the notion of being and non-being. Even a cloud cannot be described in terms of being and non-being. How can you describe God in terms of being and non-being? To be or not to be, that is no longer the question. (laughs) So if you have lost your beloved one, don't cry. Your beloved one has not come, have not passed from the realm of being into non-being. You have to look deeply to recognize the continuation of your beloved one. Maybe a better, a better, a more beautiful uh, manifestation. So the practice of of, uh, signlessness can remove all sorrow or grieving, or despair, or fear. And that is why concentration brings liberation from suffering. Anihita 
is a very deep, very wonderful meditation. It is a, a concentration, the practice of concentration. And uh, an insight into emptiness help you to touch signlessness better. Shunya. Uh, Shunyata. Emptiness is not non-being. Emptiness is a very positive thing. Let us look at these two glasses. And you see that this glass seems to be empty. And there is something in this glass. It is uh, helpful to ask the question, empty of what? Since the Hasutra tells us that everything is empty. <clears throat> this glass is not empty. It is, uh, there is some tea in it. This glass is empty. But empty of what? This glass is not empty of tea. This glass is empty of tea, but full of air. Do you agree that this uh, is full of air? So empty, always empty of something. In order to be empty or not empty, the glass has to be there. So emptiness is not the same thing with nothingness. This is the first thing you have to remember. Emptiness is not a negative thing. It's very positive. That is the insight. Look at this flower. This uh, wonder of life. This is a wonderful manifestation. And we see that this flower is full of everything inside the cosmos. There is the sunshine, the cloud, the rain, the earth, the gardener, everything is in the flower. A flower is made of non-flower elements. Sunshine is not flower. It is a non-flower element. Rain is not flower, but rain is a non-flower element. And the earth is not a flower, but the earth is a non-flower element. And all these non-flowers elements coming together, they help the flower to manifest. So the, the flower is full of non-flower elements. The whole cosmos have come together in order to help the flower to manifest as a wonder.
But why the Hasutra say that everything is empty? Tell us, Bodhisattva Avalokita, you say that everything is empty. Empty of what? To me, the flower is full of the cosmos inside. And the Buddha will say, yes, I agree with you that the flower is full of the cosmos. The only thing she doesn't have is a self-nature, is a separate existence. A flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower has to interbe with everything else with non-flower elements. When we remove all these non-flower elements out of a flower, the flower is no longer there. So the flower is full of everything except one thing, a separate existence, a self-nature. Tan Svabhava. Everything is made with everything else. Nothing has its own nature. And that is the meaning of emptiness. Look at the daughter deeply. She is made of non-daughter elements. She is made of father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, education, food. And if you remove father, mother, education, food, the daughter is no longer there. So we have to look into our daughter in such a way in order to really see her. A son also. You have to see the nature of interbeing in everything. In yourself, in your son, in your daughter, in your partner. And uh, we are a wonderful manifestation of the cosmos. We have everything in us, but we don't have we do not have a self nature, a separate existence. We can coexist, we can inter be. We cannot be by ourselves alone. To be by yourself alone is not possible. To be means to have uh, a true nature. You are different. You are independent from everything else. That never happened. So to be is not possible. To interbe, that is possible. So everything is possible as a manifestation. Everything is full of everything else, but nothing has a separate existence. That is, that is, uh, that is emptiness. And the practice of uh, meditation help us to touch the nature of our emptiness. And when you touch the nature of emptiness, all kind of fear vanish. It's uh, autumn, and if you do walking meditation in woods, you might come in touch with uh, 
beautiful autumn leaves. And they remind you that the leaf has been there for many months in order to nourish the tree. And now she come back to the earth and she will manifest again next spring in a younger form. A leaf is made of non-leaf elements. When we look into ourselves, we see that uh, Mother Earth is our mother. Mother Earth is not only the environment around us. We carry Mother Earth inside. And if we can touch Mother Earth inside, we know that uh, if Mother Earth has helped us to manifest in this form, and then when we go back, she will help us manifest in other forms. So the fear of dying will no longer be there. In the school of uh, Vishnanyavada, manifestation only, is a meditation called Three Natures. The first is uh, the nature of uh, mental construction. Parakampita. The nature of uh, interbeing and the nature of the ultimate. Ithakhoi, Viên Thần Thật. Viên Cái Chấp. This is, uh, this is the nature of uh, mental uh, the first nature of things called mental construction. When we look at something like uh, a human being, or a tree, or a flower, we may think that they can be by themselves alone. They have their true nature, their own nature. Own nature. Svabhava. And if we live in a world of uh, mental constructions, we suffer because there are so many wrong perceptions. And that is why we have to practice looking deeply to see the nature of interbeing. And the Buddha said very clearly, this is because that is. This vanish, that is why, because the, the other vanish. This is born because the other is born. So everything is linked to each other. The independent, interdependent origination, that is the second nature.
the nature of uh, go being, inter being. And when you have the insight of uh, of uh, inter being, you can touch the ultimate reality, which is being contact. This is a nirvana. This is a reality as it is. That is why the sixteen exercise is to contemplate uh, the ultimate nirvana, the ultimate, the ultimate reality, which is uh, paranishpana. And in order to touch the ultimate reality in Christianity, uh, you may say, in touch with God, resting in God. In order to get in touch with the ultimate, we have to remove all notions, like the notions of birth and death, being and non-being, coming and going, self and non-self. And that is why the, the the number you gave is uh, not correct. So the thirteen exercise of mindful breathing is to practice concentration. The fourteen is to practice uh, liberate, liberating our mind from the mental formation. The fifteen is can I know impermanence attack droid attack droid can I la can I la mylam Cái này là mười bốn Non craving là cái này mười lăm cái này cái này mười sáu mười sáu bốn mười ba mười ba là contemplating impermanence Mười bốn là contemplating non-craving, đúng rồi. Cái này là mười hai, cái này là mười một. So, uh, the first, the first uh, concentration recommended in this sutra is the contemplation of impermanence. The second is the contemplation of non-craving. And the third is the contemplation of nirvana. In order to get in touch with the ultimate, and in order to get in touch with the ultimate, you have to contemplate on letting go, releasing of notions like the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. The ultimate aim of meditation is to 
to touch our true nature. And that is the nature of no birth, no death, no coming, no going, no being, no non-being. Release all kind of fear, anger, and anxiety, and craving. And in order to do that, we have to learn how to release notions. Then this is a require uh, uh, the practice. When you come to a practice center with the with practice of uh, mindfulness, we can calm our body, our feelings, our perceptions. We can get a relief from the practice of uh, calming. We can produce uh, the feelings of joy and happiness. But the greatest kind of relief meaning complete liberation you get only when you can touch the nature of nirvana, the ultimate. And the ultimate can be in touch only when you are able to release these notions. Suppose you have a notion that uh, there is your consciousness inside of you that is reaching out to understand nature outside. You are caught in a notion of subject and object. It looks like uh, the objective world can exist separately from the objective world. Your consciousness is one thing, and nature out there is another thing. Your consciousness in here is reaching out for nature out there. So in that way, you are caught by the notion of subject and object as two separate entities. And unless you release that kind of of, uh, notions, the ultimate cannot be touched. It's sunshine today.